Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Carrillo. Today, we have Michael Flight. He founded uh, Concordia Realty Corporation in 1990, and his firm focuses on acquiring retail real estate, including shopping centers, malls, and triple net properties. More recently, he has become CEO of Liberty Real Estate Fund, the world's first net lease security token fund, providing stable and tradable private real estate. So thank you so much for being on the show, Michael. Thank you very much, Charles. Really appreciate it. So give us a little bit of your background, uh, both professionally and per, uh, personally, uh, prior to getting involved in real estate investing. Well, I was, uh, I, I've been in real estate uh, since 1986. Uh, my brother and I uh, like to tell the story that I was still in college and, you know, we went to a nothing down seminar and <laughs> thought that we could buy, you know, property, nothing down. And then we walked into a real estate agent and the guy says, do you guys have any, you know, uh, you know, like any type of income that you can show or anything like that? He goes, I, I, I sincerely doubt you're going to buy anything, nothing down. So, but that got me um, bitten on the real estate bug. Um, I worked, uh, you know, for one summer rehabbing apartments for a gentleman that um, redid, you know, invested in multifamily buildings in the Chicago, actually in, in the city of Chicago and up and coming neighborhoods. And uh, so I was doing the physical labor of rehabbing and things like that. And um, he said, you know, as I was getting closer to college graduation, uh, the best way for you to learn, you know, the real estate industry is become a commercial real estate broker. You can make some money, you can save up some money and you can find some deals. Uh, so I went out and uh, became a retail real estate broker uh, doing sales and leasing for retail properties. Retail properties are malls, shopping centers. Um, they're the single tenant buildings that you see on the corners, like even gas stations or Walgreens or things like that. Uh, and I became a retail broker because you had the opportunity that if a tenant was expanding, especially in the mm. Chicago market, uh, that Chicago has around 3 million people. And so a tenant could put in potentially 20, 25 stores to, to really serve a market. And so if you got connected with a tenant, you could do multiple yeah. deals versus if you were in office space or an industrial building, you do one lease deal and then you'd have to turn around and go call call for, for more things. So it was kind of efficiency and it was also kind of laziness that I didn't want to cold call <laughs> that much. So that's how I got into retail real estate. And you are compensated every year on those, where you were compensated every year on those, or every lease renewal, you were compensated for? No, actually, um, you typically get paid uh, a one-time commission. Okay. And it's it, sometimes it's based on the value of the commission. So because mm -hmm. if you do a lease that's hundred dollars to $150,000 a year, and you, know, you put a cap rate on that, uh, you've added, you know, close to, you know, million dollars or so of value to a property. And so you get uh, paid a percentage yeah. of the, the lease. And then in certain areas, it, the leases, the rents are too high. So they'll just pay you on a basic 
per square foot. So okay. for example, we had a um, shopping center in Hamden, Connecticut. And so if we did a lease for a thousand feet, um, that would be a smaller lease. And so you get paid five to, to $6 per square foot. Okay. Uh, Interesting. All right. And so uh, how did you get started in actual real estate investing going from the broker side to the investor side? Well, my brother and I uh, bought a three flat in a town called Cicero, Illinois. Mm. And uh, it's known for uh, being the home of Al Capone when he got chased out of Chicago. <laughs> and it's also known for making Martin Luther King Jr. cry. Uh, so it was a, um, a working class neighborhood. We were able to buy um, this three unit apartment building for, um, I think we put down like 2,500 or even less than that. And um, it, we, it was an educational experience because we did everything you could possibly do wrong. So uh, as soon as we closed on the building, uh, the tenant on the upstairs had a lease and he just decided he was good. And the owner of the building lived in the building. So they were moving out. And the upstairs tenant uh, was a Polish guy. They were younger. And he was worried that two young guys were going to, his wife was alone at home. So mm. he was worried that we we're going to take advantage of his wife or his wife might, you know, like, like us. So he just moved out. You know? <laughs> so we were sitting there with a three unit building with two vacancies. Um, so we didn't do the best credit checks. Uh, some guy came in off the streets. Uh, he wanted his son's an apartment and he put down like, you know, a thousand dollars or $800 or a thousand dollars cash in our hands. Mm -hmm. And at the time that was a lot of money and we had never seen that much money. It's like, okay. You know, then it turns out, you know, a little bit later on that the one brother was a great worker and he, you know, did everything he was supposed to. And the other brothers, you know, running a drug operation out of yeah. there. Jeez. So anyways, it, it was a, it was a nightmare. And yeah. so um, it really, uh, also tinged my thinking on, you know, getting into residential real estate. So I have owned apartment buildings. We've owned a number of them. And uh, over the years with a partner, we flipped and fixed um, probably about 125 houses. That was in the, the 1990s through 2013. But um, I'm really never been that interested in residential real estate. I keep getting sucked into it, but uh, just the management headaches, yeah. uh, which is why, you know, I really prefer um, commercial real estate uh, because most of the time you're dealing with a business owner or a large corporation. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's why I really prefer triple net, you know, leases because the tenant maintains most of these stuff. Yeah, for sure. The uh, It's funny what you said about uh, when you're renting yourself as your first landlord. And I've made those mistakes before. And it's very difficult. You know, when you have a mortgage payment coming up and it's your first property, you might not have that much reserves. And um, you're taking people that are suboptimal uh, tenants. And that's one benefit of having property management because they're not really tied too much to how it performs. They're looking for, you know, month 14, month 15, if this person's going to be there and if they're going to be paying. And so it's kind of, that's another benefit, I think, of bringing in uh, property management that uh, really vet people and have a criteria that they're kind of working towards, oh, working you're, through. You're yeah. So true. And even if you're coming up on that, uh, you know, because that was exactly we <clears throat> we actually got, you know, two kind of disastrous tenants because we are in such a hurry to, you know, cover the mortgage and then, you know, think you'd be on to, you know, bigger and better things. But it's like it comes back. But oh, yeah. um, a property management company will do the credit checks, will go through all the stuff. And that's what you need to make sure, uh, because there are some property management companies that are 
not good property managers. But um, you know, we've been managing properties since 1990, and um, so you know, you just need to make sure that your property manager has the systems in place to to do the right thing. And then some of them are going to be able to you know um, counsel you. Say, I, I know you really want to lease this right away, but there's this other tenant here. You know, why don't we just um, and they they actually might be paying a little less, but um, you won't end up um, losing all kinds of rent like three months to. I know when we were operating properties in Connecticut, you actually had to pay the tenant to leave. Oh, yeah. You know, and do yeah. a stipulation of judgment because they don't evict anybody in Connecticut. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know. I know how that goes really well, uh, unfortunately. So, Michael, what's what's your company's current acquisition criteria and strategy? Well, um, Concordia Realty is putting. We we still own properties. We still own shopping centers, uh, and we typically used to do value add. But our uh, biggest uh, enterprise right now is Liberty Real Estate Fund, mm-hmm. and it's a um, single tenant triple net lease. Uh, portfolio of properties. So it gives investors geographic diversification, it gives investors credit diversification, and it gives investors industry diversification. And so I can kind of explain how we got into that. Um, We, as I said, I started out in the retail real estate world. Um, We've been in business in doing uh, all kinds of retail real estate from large uh, 800,000 square foot malls all the way on down to like, you know, uh, single tenant uh, triple net deals, or we bought portfolios of single tenant triple net deals. And, um, you know, the, the, the shopping centers are getting much harder to lease because some of the tenants are being, you know, taken out of business either through competition or uh, what a lot of people assign to Amazon or online sales, it's really a, a matter of demographics. So a lot of shopping centers, especially malls, were women's clothes heavy. And, uh, and even shopping centers were heavy on women's clothes. And women, uh, number one, uh, the, most of the baby boomer women are aging out. And the millennial woman, mm. even though they are buying clothes, they're not buying the same amount of clothes that people used to buy buy. Uh, before. And also America is getting more casual. So there used mm-hmm. to be, yeah. um, you know, women would dress up and even men would dress up and, and go to work. <laughs> and now um, it, it's a much more casual thing. So it, it's changed the, the buying habits. And so we as an industry need to figure out how to backfill some of those spaces. Some of those spaces have been backfilled by gyms and, um, you know, service type of business. The main problem with those is they're they're great to fill space, but they take up a lot of parking. And the other regular tenants like a Marshalls or a supermarket do not want a gym because people just go to the gym. They sit there for like an hour to three hours and take up a lot of parking. So with that long story, um, we saw that uh, retailers are coming out of malls. Retailers are coming out of shopping centers and they want freestanding buildings. And they want freestanding buildings. They want the opportunity to put a drive-through in. Uh, you saw it uh, probably over the last 20 years, almost all drugstores, Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, all went to something with a drive-through. You're going to see it with dollar stores now. They're going to start putting in drive-throughs. And then COVID was just an acceleration of that. Hmm. So we said, if the trend is moving towards single tenant triple net deals and 
it's actually easier to manage them because um, with a shopping center, you still have to take care of the roof. You still have to take care of the parking lot and all the rest of the stuff. With a single tenant triple net deal, the tenant pays for the taxes, the insurance, and the maintenance. So they pay everything. You can remember it by the acronym TIM. Uh, so it's taxes, insurance, and maintenance. And so all you do is get a check. So what we like to call it is the nothing but net income strategy. Hmm. Very interesting. And um, I mean, when you're looking at returns, as I've looked at them, obviously, I'm not anywhere near as uh, educated in this as you are. But uh, when you're looking at returns that are coming from triple net properties, it's less than what you typically will see from when people are doing these value add multifamilies and all this kind of stuff. And um, I mean, you're getting a lot less, it's a lot less hassle for you, though, to handle asset management on these properties. And I mean, you're really getting long terms best tenants, minimal hassles. It's really like the gold standard. Is that kind of how you see it as um, why you're, yeah, why you I, like I, it? I, and I, I see it as, um, you know, the, the value add, because we've done heavy value add. Yeah. We've actually taken malls and demalled them. You know, we've done that on three malls. We've done extensive redevelopment and um, you know, you can have a plan to, to do the value add <laughs> And sometimes the plan goes insanely great. And sometimes the plan uh, takes a lot longer to execute. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the plan, you know, doesn't happen. And sometimes you execute the plan and you don't get the red pops. So the thing that I like to point out is, is that, um, you know, when you see the multifamily value add and you see a lot of uh, other value add strategies, they have these like giant IRR numbers. And those giant IRR numbers, all, most investors gravitate towards that. And it's like, what you actually have to do is also look at your current cash on cash return, mm -hmm. how much cash flow you're going to get right away. And the other thing is your equity multiple. How much are you going to get out of the total deal? Um, because those IRR numbers are dependent on a lot of things actually happening. And I can tell you um, in more than you know, 35 years of investing, nothing ever goes like you yeah. plan it, you know? Yeah, so true. I could see how it's going to get there. I can, you know, take a look at any property. Well, I can't take a look at any property, but I can take a look at any retail property and say, we could take it from here to here. I can do that a lot with, you know, residential properties with the flips and everything like that. But there's all kinds of things that have to happen in the right order um, and you know, you never know, you open up a wall, you get some sort of environmental mm. problem. Yeah. Uh, you never know that you might need some sort of building permit or approval or a zoning approval. And all of a sudden you're at the mercy of, you know, some sort of political system. And mm. as we just talked about it, you can have, um, a difficult tenant that, uh, you're trying to execute your value add strategy and you can't get the tenant out of your way. Mm. Yeah. So um, that's why I like to say um, the returns look lower than what you could get for a value add, but the returns are truer. Yeah. So well, it's 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 cash flow. It's what you're going to see. the uh, The great thing about the leases, that's why we call them net leases, is they're typically leased to large corporations. Mm -hmm. So, like for example. Jiffy Lube, uh, the parent company is Shell Oil Company. I always say, I'll take Shell Oil Company as uh, my tenant over the U.S. government because I'm pretty yeah. sure that Shell Oil Company is going to pay their debts. You know, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, there, there's a lot less political instability mm. with a Shell 
um, with a Walgreens, with a McDonald's. Mm -hmm. uh, I do like to talk about McDonald's. Um, you know, we've got McDonald's and when they, a, a corporate tenant, when they pay their rent, it's, you know, seven to five to seven days ahead. It's automatically mm -hmm. deposited in your bank account. It's an ACH payment. So you don't even have to worry mm -hmm. about like taking that check and going to the bank. It's there, mm -hmm. it's credited. Um, and when you sign a lease with that tenant, you get the full faith and credit of that tenant backing the lease as yeah. long as they're guaranteeing it. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy because that does not happen in multifamily. I think I have one tenant in all my years of multifamily that used to pay two months at a time because he didn't want to write too many checks. Other than that, <laughs> other than that, I would have renewed never, him at a discount. <laughs> I was like, you go month to month as long as you want to go. But uh, other than that, he was, um, I've never had anybody, you know, prepay, you know, a month like that or anything like that. That's, that's, that's nuts. But um, that's awesome. I mean, it's, I, it's I want to just, you know, and this is a uh, good be or not be inappropriate, but we had a tenant in a shopping center in Michigan City, Indiana, and they were a massage parlor. And so on the main thoroughfare, this center was off the, the main expressway, 80, 90, the, between Detroit and Chicago. And there's this Tokyo Health Spa 24 hours. And they're <laughs> in the corner of the, the shopping center. And basically it was a massage parlor. And uh, so and uh, they would pay their rent eight months in advance because oh in Indiana, you couldn't kick them out until they, you know, didn't pay rent. Oh. So we were trying to do a redevelopment. I'm out there with like, you know, TJ Maxx, corporate executives and stuff. It's like, yeah, we're going to put you right here. They're like, what are you going to do about that thing? Because we ain't going in there with that thing. <laughs> so yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, interesting way of this, how people, uh, figure out stuff, right. And right. figure out ways around it. But, um, so with COVID, with everything, I mean, you have a lot of, these are essential businesses that we're really talking about that you've mentioned on this, that obviously would be open and probably thrived, uh, during COVID, uh, what, what kind of happened during COVID to your business to, um, did, you know, is it, is it a lot of people leaving the malls too? with anything to do with COVID or is it also people are leaving the malls too, because it might be less expensive because they're not maybe on a percentage lease, like a lot of malls like to do. So it might be um, advantageous to them to move to their own uh, individual single location. Yeah, it's definitely less expensive. It's not only mm -hmm. the, do the tenants have to pay a percentage rent, uh, but they also have to pay um, what are called cam charges, which are mm -hmm. common area maintenance charges. And in an enclosed mall, you're not only paying for, like, for example, in a Chicago or a Massachusetts or a Connecticut, um, you're paying for the HVAC, you're paying for the heat, you're paying for the air conditioning, you're paying for, and the tenants pay all this stuff. You're paying for indoor sprinkling, you're paying for fire suppression, mm -hmm. and then outside you're paying for all the same things that you would pay uh, in any other building. So you have to pay for snow plowing, you have to pay for landscaping outside. So it's really expensive to be in an enclosed mall. Uh, it's less expensive to be in what's called a strip shopping center, like your shopping center that you have with a grocer. And then um, it's usually uh, about the same rate or a little less expensive for a tenant to maintain their own freestanding building. Okay. Uh, COVID did accelerate people coming out of the mall because the malls were just shut down. We had shopping centers that, um, you know, in, in one of them, probably half of our tenants were shut down because they were mm. declared non-essential. So um, unfortunately, you've got these, and fortunately, they were major national tenants. So like 
um, in a Longhorn Steakhouse. We were able to work out an agreement with them because it's like they're just shut down. Uh, they're corporate tenants. They everybody, you know, worked out well. Uh, we were able to, you know, give them some sort of break, and then uh, they got. They're actually paying for the. Some of them are paying over the next two years the the, the rent that they didn't pay during COVID. But um, in terms of our portfolio, we are, are um, investing in uh, automotive services. We're investing in medical services. We're investing in mm. uh, drug stores. We're investing in dollar stores. We're investing in um, cell phone stores. Um, I think there's, uh, oh, and, and medical retail. Mm. Uh, and almost all of those tenants were open all the way through. Yeah. Some of those tenants, actually, the sales just went through the roof because they were the only available thing. So CVS and Walgreens sales went through the roof, not only because um, a lot of them were open 24 hours, but they had the drive through so that people didn't have to go into the store. So it was a beautiful thing for them. Uh, and they also were able to kind of take advantage of the situation because they had COVID testing. Um, CVS and Walgreens are also adding in um, medical facilities where you can go get you know, checkups or nurse stations or things like that. And the dollar stores, the dollar stores, oh, yeah. um, their, their mm. sales blew up uh, mm. because if you look at a dollar store in, in a lot of people that are in the upper income brackets have never been into a dollar store. Um, but a dollar store has just about all the basics that people need. They, they also include food. Uh, some of them have like frozen food sections and all the rest of it. So it's kind of like what I like to describe it as is a, a mini Walmart. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, and so their sales just blew up. And then uh, the oh, we're, we're also doing grocery stores. So like an mm -hmm. Aldi or um, you know freestanding uh, triple net lease um, grocery store like a Kroger or something like that. And um, their sales all went because they were mm -hmm. one of the only things that people was buying at the time. Yeah. Uh, one question before we get on to your, your blockchain technology is, so if you're for multifamily or someone's doing residential real estate, um, you know, you want to hold the property for five years and go through this whole value add thing and all this kind of stuff. And um, it's not a real scientific process uh, after you've pinpointed a market in a neighborhood, right? I right. see some gentrification happening. I know that within five years, there's gonna be more and all this kind of stuff. Um, you're, you're buying properties with long 25 year leases in some instances, I would imagine. Um, how are like, what kind of market research are you doing? Do you want to go there and see a lot of national tenants around where it is? I mean, how are you choosing? Not that you have to keep this tenant for, you know, could you have to hold the property for the whole tenancy, but, um, you know, let us know kind of what kind of market, uh, due diligence you do, let's say. Well, we want to make sure that it's on main and main. Uh, we mm -hmm. have, you know, a checklist that we go over off. Um, and it has, uh, I want to say it's, it's close to a hundred different points that mm -hmm. you know, we need to make sure that, and, you know, it, it's assigned a waiting, uh, but the, the main thing is, is that there has to be um, good access in and out. Mm -hmm. There has to be good visibility. Um, these tenants are leasing in these properties because they're not only a place where they can do business, but it's also a giant billboard for them. So they want mm -hmm. as much signage as possible. They want you driving by that. And, you know, you, you might just notice it out of the corner of your eye, but all of a sudden when you get sick, it's like, oh, I, that Walgreens is over there. And, you know, I, I know I can go over there. So that's what they're looking for. And that's what we're looking for. We're also looking for um, good populations with growth. Uh, we're looking for 
uh, traffic counts to see how many cars are going by it. Um, ideally, we want the uh, store or whatever, um, you know, even if it's a, a dentist, a veterinarian or something like that, we want them as close or close as possible to a traffic light um, mm. because it's easier to, to get yeah. in and out of. Um, we absolutely try to get as many as possible on a corner so mm. you can not only get in on one side, but you can get in on a separate side that mm. might not be as busy. Um, so that's the type of thing that we look for. You can also do value add in that lease. So um, if you take a look at some of the properties that might have shorter term leases and you have a good feeling as to what the market is, whether it's a great location, whether you believe they're going to renew or not, you can actually get those properties at a higher cap rate. So what we do with our portfolio is we have the confidence that we are not only blending it with longer term expirations, but we're doing some shorter term expirations okay. because we know we've been in the leasing business. Uh, we have contacts with all the national retailers. So if that if we're going to go in and buy something that has like, let's say a, a three-year lease expiration um, or a four-year lease expiration or under five, uh, we're already gonna know um, if this tenant does renew, uh, they're going to exercise their option or they might not have an option. And so we're going to know what type of sales they're doing there. And we're also going to have two or three backup tenants that if, let's say, this Dollar General or Dollar Tree um, decides not to renew, who are we going to have that can backfill it? Interesting. Very interesting. And so you can get a, a, a higher cap rate on something mm -hmm. like that. But it's a dangerous game to play if you don't have the uh, relationships with the tenants and you're not supremely confident that you can release it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, makes so it's, it's interesting because when you're going driving somewhere, how important, how much importance you put on ingress, egress of in and out of that property. And if there's a light and everything like that. And uh, so well, I, I can see definitely you, like you saw something you wanted to go to and you couldn't get into it. So you just drove past it and went yeah. someplace else. Right. Or like a corner so crazy, you can't get to the other side, going the other direction. And you're like, only if I'm going this way, you know what I mean? It's the Yogi Berra. It's so busy. Nobody goes there anymore. <laughs> exactly. Um, so give us a little bit of premise behind your Liberty Real Estate Fund and what you're doing there and how that is kind of disrupting private syndications uh, as we know it. Sure. Um, I was hanging around a bunch of people that were a lot smarter than me, and all of them were saying blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. A lot of them were saying Bitcoin. Um, and so I knew that there was something happening with blockchain that I had to you know, try to understand it. Um, and as I was talking to a lot of these people, it was around you know, the, the uh, crypto craze that all the prices had just gone nuts in 2017. And I was looking at a lot of these things and I didn't understand, you know, wh where the value was. And a lot of them didn't have any value. And so I'm like, why wouldn't you just tie it to like some sort of asset? Why wouldn't you just do a cryptocurrency backed by real estate or backed by gold? Um, you know, because this other stuff, um, you're taking it on complete faith, whatever their, you know, little project was. And they're, they're raising a billion dollars. So what I really wanted to do was create a real estate stable coin. And I was already in the net lease business. And I knew that net lease properties on average um, over the last 20 years 
have fluctuated between 97.5% occupancy and 98.5% occupancy. Wow. So you've got this super stable, mm. uh, everything backed by major corporations. So you've got like basically bonds wrapped in real estate. And so why not tie that to what I thought at the time was going to be a cryptocurrency. So you get a real estate stable coin. So that was the intent. That was the idea. Let's create a real estate stable coin. Um, fast forward, we learned that, um, you know, if we were going to do what's called an ICO, an initial coin offering, that would be illegal in the United States. And so, but there were these things called security tokens. Uh, so it's, it runs on the exact same rails as all the cryptocurrency that you see out there, except they're a legal security. They're, uh, for example, Liberty Real Estate Fund is a 506C offering. So mm -hmm. it's regulated by the SEC. Um, but the really cool thing is, is that it's just like a normal syndication, only it's tradable. So mm -hmm. you get a token and uh, that token, uh, so you actually, um, each token in our fund is $10,000 a piece. And so it, you can like, let's say uh, you bought $100,000. So you get 10 tokens. And let's say in three months, you decided that you were going to trade a few of your tokens because you wanted to buy something else or you had to you know, do a wedding for one of your daughters or something. So you decided to, to trade one of those. You could actually trade uh, person to person with another accredited investor, mm. or wow. you could list it on these things. Actually, um, uh, right in your neighborhood is Oasis Pro Markets and they're what's called an ATS. So you could list it on the ATS and it's similar to a stock exchange and it's a matching trading system that they have, wow. you know, so um, other, other people will be able to find and, and buy your tokens. But the really cool thing is after a one year lockup period, those shares in, in the fund, or if you were going to do this with one of your multifamily properties, mm -hmm. those shares in your multifamily property would be tradable to accredited or non-accredited investors. Mm -hmm. So it just opens up a much wider investor pool. It, it's, you know, really a, a cool thing. Yeah, because there's there's a, quite a number of pages in the private placement memorandum that tells you this is non-marketable, you'll never sell this, blah, blah, blah. And so that's that's great because there's a lot of people that turn down investing in the syndications because they want their money back in 24 months, let's say. And you can't, obviously can't, you know, you shouldn't be saying uh, unless that's what your project goes for, that you're able to do that. So that's that's a great exit strategy for investors. Right. And we've had that, um, you know, for example, if you're doing your value add strategy, sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you have a downturn in the market. So if you were scheduled to sell in 2020, um, you're probably not selling your project or refinancing your project in 2020 because, you know, it just wasn't available. So, and it's the same thing. I've been through four downturns. So as I said before, you have this plan, you're executing on this plan, mm. but you know it never typically goes exactly as planned. Um, you eventually end up getting there, but sometimes it takes a little longer to get there. So for example, if somebody was investing in one of our syndications with our shopping centers, um, they'd be locked in for like five to seven years. Uh, we've had one deal, which you know everything's been great and it's just been a stellar deal, uh, but it's been a 30-year deal. So, um, but, you know, like I said, with these, if you absolutely need to get out of it, you need some sort of liquidity, 
um, there's liquidity with broker dealers. There's liquidity that um, me and you could trade directly. Um, so you could say, hey, I got these shares. It's doing really good. Um, you know, I need to do this other stuff or I want to buy a car or whatever, or, you know. And so you come up to me and I say, well, that sounds good. So as long as we agree on the price, if I put the money up and you put the shares up, the trade goes automatically through without any broker, without anybody in between it. So yeah. wow. it, it's a really cool thing. Uh, then, like I said, you could list them with a broker. Uh, you could list them on an ATS. And there are security token exchanges. And we've been talking with Coinbase and Kraken and mm -hmm. eventually more than likely they'll also be, you know, listing security tokens as well. Interesting. Uh, that's fantastic. The, um, I want, you mentioned about the four downturns. I just, uh, just in passing, what, what kind of commonalities have you seen? Because the catalyst for all these downturns is, uh, is different. Like, what do you see maybe as common traits between them that uh, kind of piques your interest when you're, you might be seeing it in a current market cycle? Um, I, I really haven't seen the exact same thing in every one because every one was started by some sort of different thing. Right. Um, the, this past one, uh, a lot of the stuff that we thought was going to happen didn't happen mm -hmm. because it, you know, went down and then it went right up. But, um, back in 2008 through 2010, uh, there, the, most of the people that got wiped out, and this was also the same thing in um, uh, 1990, uh, 1989 through 1991, uh, it was the capital stack. And so the people that got wiped out were over leveraged, um, you know, and it had a difficult situation. And, you know, it, and I, I'm worried about that now because um, I see... Mm. Uh, especially in the apartment market, but also in, you know, other parts of commercial real estate, it's not only uh, are you borrowing your maximum because the debt is really cheap. Um, but the other thing is then, you know, they're doing these preferred equity, which are basically mezzanine loans. Mm. Um, and so we've done in the past workouts for bank and insurance companies. And a workout is when the bank or the lender forecloses on the property. They bring somebody in to stabilize the property, to get it all like, you know, in a manageable situation mm -hmm. so that they can get it off their books and then, you know, help them dispose of it. So, uh, and that's, like I said, most of the stuff is you know, usually a leverage situation. So I, and I'm not saying because debt is so cheap right now, um, you should take this <laughs> you can because uh, it's almost free money. Yeah. So, it's, it's interesting when I'm looking at something is, do we, does this person need to uh, leverage it this much for it to make sense? Or are they doing it because that's really cheap? And uh, you can usually find it's, it's so expensive now for multifamily. Um, it's one of those things where you got to ask that question of what you're getting yourself into. Oh, you know, you just hit on a perfect thing that nobody hits on is like, um, do they need the debt to make the deal work? Um, or are they just like... Um, this deal works and we're just taking out as much debt as possible to, to maximize returns. Uh, because there are, I, I'm, I'm gonna say guys, cause I say you guys, but there are a lot of guys out there that are really stretching to make the deal. And uh, I would be concerned, I would look at, you know, if they've ever been through a downturn before, um, if they've ever executed on a plan before, um, because I just, 
like I say, I see a lot of, um, you know, newer syndicators out there. They all seem to be like GPs in the same five deals. And, uh, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I'm just worried about it because they're like talking about asset management, asset management, when, you know, you at the beginning of this conversation started talking about property management and, you know, knowing mm-hmm. you need to know the property management to know um, yeah. how to do the asset management. Exactly. Uh, a couple of questions as we're finishing up here. I had one with, um, these are longer term leases with triple net. How do you uh, avoid getting crunched, let's say, um, by inflation that's happening right now in this increasingly inflationary period? Are you guys doing any type of uh, pegging any of these leases to indexes or anything like this? Uh, as of right now, we're not. Uh, but what we typically do is we look for, um, th- there's, so for example, let's take Dollar General. Um, I've seen people syndicating a, a Dollar Generals out there. And my main concern with that is Dollar General signs a 15 year lease that never goes up. So number one, we look for leases that have rent increases. Um, we really like uh, a lot of the automotive in the medical uh, deals like an Aspen Dental or, you know, uh, like I said, Banfield Pet Hospitals, which is owned by Mars Corporation. Uh, a lot of these go up every year, uh, sometimes 1%, sometimes 2% a year. So we like oh, those nice. leases that, that escalate. Um, and we try and you know, mix our portfolio so that you get some escalating leases and then you get some better locations that you're just buying for the location because you know that the value of the property is there. Um, what I also like to point out is, is that you're buying in right now and you're locking in this year's construction rates. So, you know, uh, or you're, you're locking in like, you know, 19 or 2000 construction rates. So if somebody else coming along isn't going to be able to build that building across the street um, in three years for the same amount of money. So you're locking in that value too. Interesting. Yeah, that's very. The other thing too is that um, since these are triple uh, triple net lease properties, uh, you don't have the normal expenses that a let's say full service or multifamily property has. Where I'm worried about this going up, and I'm worried about having to pay for that. It doesn't really affect you because you're not paying that, and it affects yeah. mostly your tenant. You're just really giving them a shell, and then they have to operate that shell. Right. And the other thing that I I point out to you know. Um, not only with, uh, you know, multifamily, but also mobile home parks and some of those mm-hmm. other things, um, they project that they're going to like increase rents higher than inflation. And I, I just don't yeah. assume that yeah. that's going to be, so that's number one. Um, and number two, what was the other one? Um, uh, oh, you had mentioned it before. Not only do tenants sometimes pay percentage rent in malls, but they also sometimes will pay percentage rent in single tenant triple net. <laughs> and so when the tenants raise their prices, you get the benefit nice. of that, you know, bumping up against your break point. And so that covers you in inflation too. Yeah. yeah and I also like all the industries as we wrap up here that you're involved with, with, uh, with auto mechanics, with, you know, the ever increasing, increasing prices of cars, when there's a pullback, people fix their cars more and you have probably auto parts stores and all that kind of stuff in dollar. I mean, this is all perfect around any type of pullback. You will actually, uh, you know, you'll actually have more business probably coming through those, um, those units, those properties. So that's a great strategy of how you're doing it, especially, um, where we're going now. I think that everything's just going to be getting more and more expensive over the next few years. 
But yeah, um, we really designed the portfolio to be internet resistant. And hmm. what we also found out during 2020 is it seems to be pandemic resistant. So hmm. it's something that people need to do. Uh, we're looking for, you know, bread and butter um, necessity type of businesses that, you know, people are still going to need for the next, you know, 20, 40 years. Yeah. So what do you think are the main uh, factors that have contributed to your success, Michael? Uh, just dumb luck. <laughs> no, <laughs> the, uh, I, I would say persistence, um, it, you know, uh, that, you know, it's, it's persistence, it's willing to, to learn. Uh, I like to play the old guy card with a lot of the people that work uh, around me and for me because they're all under the age of 35. But it's like when, you know, I started out in the industry, there was no internet. So you couldn't look up anything. You know, you had to just like read magazines. You had to like read trade uh, journals. You had to like actually go out when you were looking at a property, yeah. fly out there and look at it. So I would say that education, um, keep reading, um, and also, uh, you know, just keep positive mindset. Okay. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? Uh, they can get a hold of me at uh, libertyfund.io. That's libertyfund.io. We not only have all kinds of educational material on net lease properties, triple net properties, or net 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 properties, mm -hmm. uh, but we also have a lot of information on security tokens, blockchain, real estate. Okay. I will put all those links into the show notes. And I want to thank you, Michael, for coming on today. Thank you. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.